Hello, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. How's it going, Jane? It's going okay. Today's a good day, you know? Yay! I woke up this morning feeling okay, and I, you know, was able to get out of bed and participate in my Zoom classes and get some work done, and I'm like, whoa, who's she? I'm happy for you. I've discovered this new thing on YouTube, which you will probably hate but i find it really useful and it's called a pomodoro and uh some asmr artists do it but i think other people like you don't need to be an asm artist to do it and it's literally just the like a two hour long video where the person who makes it is like okay like let's get work done together Mm -hmm. and they film themselves sitting and working like on their bed or at a desk or wherever and they just put a timer on or for 25 minute increments and every 25 minutes then you get up and you take a break <laughs> it's literally just they're like okay i'm here with you let's get work done and they encourage you that's that's funny that you say that because we literally at our staff meeting yesterday the principal encouraged the teachers because one of the third grade teachers is doing this to have the kids get on zoom together to do work time because then they'll do it together so same idea hmm Except theirs is a little a little less pathetic because they actually have friends, <laughs> which I do too. No, I just, they, like, they, <laughs> yeah. no, no, they just they get on like a scheduled time with the teacher, and the whole class is sitting there doing their writing or whatever. And then the teacher, they all have themselves, they all have their volume all the way down, and the teacher will say, "Oh, Jake, like." you can turn your volume up and him and the teacher discuss what he's working on so none of the other Mm. kids can hear them but they're also working together it's Mm. sweet it's very sweet so it's a similar idea i'm glad Mm. that that's helpful for you i understand Mm -hmm. why that's helpful Mm -hmm. and the 25 minute increments are i think really good because (laughs) the first like 10 minutes of it i'm always like i hate this this seems like it's gonna go on forever but then i like find myself like getting elbows deep into something I actually need to get done. And then also the 25 minutes will be up and I'll be like, Oh, well now I get a break. And I like feel proud of myself for getting stuff done. And then it allows me to come back into it. Yeah. That is a good so, idea. I'm glad it I think it's useful. How are you doing, Sarah? I am good. My roommate just picked up our Christmas tree. We got a, <gasps> we got a live one. It's, <laughs> it's sitting in the hallway outside now. Um, where I can set it up later, which is super exciting. Happy December. Um, I got a wine advent calendar, and today I get to drink the first can out of it, um, which is also very thrilling. So I love that. It's a good day. December is starting out better. I mean, we're still all stuck inside, and there's still a pandemic, and thousands of people are dying, but true. at least I got a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. December. So. Jesus Christ, it was just March I know. Yesterday. In three months, it will be March again. Stop. <laughs> yeah, that's how time works. Wait, no. In a month, it'll be January. In two months, it'll be... <laughs> huh? Three months away from having done this for a year. Oh, I hate that. Remember when oh, you were like... I hate it too. Oh my gosh, we're going to be out of school until April. Oh, like... <laughs> truly truly uh what a time but you know we live (laughs) we learn some people never learn some people still aren't wearing their goddamn masks (laughs) um am i better for this last nine months no i am not better for it 
we're all emotionally damaged. We're all a lot worse. But <laughs> say lovey. <laughs> Should we get started? It is. It is. Sure. <laughs> Just dive on into it. I think this is actually going to be a really fun episode. Um, I forget cause... what I asked you about, but I'm excited for my yeah. segment. Well, I remember what I asked you about, and I think it will tie together with my um not only my first segment but my middle segment as well i was on the middle segment right yes you were yeah okay cool so you asked me about Mm -hmm. yellowstone (gasps) oh (laughs) (laughs) i forgot i'm excited and i think you specifically asked me about like the yellowstone something the death or other the death zone yeah i'm not talking really about that um well well, tell me about the death zone jane I guess I'm gonna have to well, look I'm it up not, myself. I'm not. I'm talking about the volcano. But I wanted to know what the death zone is. <laughs> I totally didn't even think. I really, I was in the note. I don't know why I literally was like Yellowstone. Okay, we're talking about the volcano, and then I later looked at what you had written, and I was like, the death zone. Hmm. Well, here we are. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll find out for myself then. maybe i'll actually cover it another time but (laughs) we're here to talk about the yellowstone volcano which is what i was aware of beforehand and i am very terrified of so Um, this is what you've been wondering (laughs) (laughs) yes but i will say that my this research calmed my nerves a little bit because i've heard so many people in reference to yellowstone say things like well everything's going insane in the world right now and you know yellowstone could blow any day Mm. and so that's always been like on my mind like what do you mean yellowstone could blow any day and like apparently that's really bad it it is really bad so uh i wanted to learn about what the like actual likelihood of it going Mm. off is and yes of course my nerves were calmed a little bit so uh, located in Wyoming is the Yellowstone Volcano, which is considered a super volcano, oh. and a volcanic caldera. A volcanic caldera is a large volcanic crater, sort of, that is formed from past volcanic eruptions. So when we picture a volcano, we picturely we we typically picture like a triangular mountain with like a hole at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people think that the caldera is like what used to be that hole at the top oh but interesting. it's not it's really that oh. um <laughs> it's it's on it's along those lines though um so when in the past there was a big tall triangular pyramid no not pyramid but a cone shaped pyra- yeah. volcano mm-hmm. the top and underneath it there's this large chamber of magma that is expelled during the eruption and now uh-huh. all of a sudden that chamber is empty and there's nothing keeping it up. So it collapses and the entire structure of the volcano like goes inward, like collapses in on oh. itself. And Have goes you seen from that being, movie like... Volcano? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's good. You uh, should watch it. It's just like a it... dumb disaster movie, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I will look into it. Uh, the way that I wrote it down, and this is a math nerd thing, but so if you're it go it went from convex to concave. In the oh, breast. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> these are words I know. These are yeah. words I know. 
Mm -hmm. So the crater that's left behind is not the hole at the top of the volcano. It's literally the perimeter of what used to be the volcano. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a super volcano, which means that it's larger in size, but also it has the ability to produce a much more massive explosion than regular volcanoes. Volcanologist Janine Krippner explains that the word simply means that there is evidence that in the past it has produced the largest recorded kind of explosion, but that does not necessarily mean that every time it erupts, it will be an eruption of that size. I see. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called the VEI, which is the Volcanic Eruption Index, which measures the intensity of an eruption, and it's a scale from zero to eight, with a super eruption being eight. Now, um, I, I was watching this one video with Neil deGrasse Tyson and Janine Krippner and mm-hmm. some other guy, um, and she mentioned that he didn't really do it much. Um, <laughs> they, they mentioned that the scale goes from zero to eight, and Neil deGrasse Ty- Tyson took issue with that and was like, why doesn't it go from zero to ten like every other scale in the world? And <laughs> I agree with him. And she was like, I don't know. Well, the largest we've got is eight. And then <laughs> the Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, okay, well, th- I don't like that. And she was like, all right, well, next time I'm talking to somebody who's in pain, I'll be like, tell me about your pain. On a, is, like, rate your pain on a scale of zero to eight. Like, she was like, I want to build it into the vernacular now. <laughs> and I, I thought that was funny. That is um, funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, most eruptions are much lower on the VEI scale um, Mm. since the last super eruption of Yellowstone, which was 640,000 years ago. There have been almost 50 smaller eruptions, which have had zero casualties. Um, So they're mostly very low key. What Um, was the the volcano I talked about that was erupting and it erupted? Vesuvius. Vesuvius, you're right. (laughs) We love volcanoes here. We do. The last big eruption from in the U.S. was from Mount St. Helens, which was yes. big. Yeah, yeah. If um, you but- asked me one volcano fact, I'd be like, oh, Mount St. Helens erupted in our lifetime. That's the only one I've, <laughs> I, I've committed to memory. I remember learning about that in like fourth grade and being like, it's a big deal that this happened. Yeah, and it happened like it happened in like 2001, right? Yeah. We were alive when it happened. Yeah, definitely. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a really big explosion it had a lot of um like horrible consequences for the people who lived around it yes. but that was like literally nothing compared to a super explosion from yellowstone oh. so beneath its plume or beneath yellowstone there's this plume of magma that stretches down 465 miles um in a northeast direction and it stretches into the state of montana Oh. It is mostly filled with solid rock, but the um, like top, I think it's the rocks at the top, are, are slowly um, liquefying and becoming magma. Um, it's a very slow process, though. Um, and all of those solid rocks have the potential to liquefy. Um, the magma or the molten rock or, um, is rising through mm-hmm. the plume and into the magma chamber at a rate of two inches per year. Oh, shit. it's very slow, but it's still going. You know, this, so. uh, see, two inches seems like a lot to me, comparatively. 
Yeah. Considering Did the he... earth move, yeah. like, the all the continents move, like, what, a quarter of a centimeter every year? Something like that. I think it's, like, maybe, like, I don't know. But I guess you're right. Comparatively, that's a lot. Um, but because there's a lot of movement of hot materials going on under the surface, um, there's an occasional expulsion of gas which is just like how humans occasionally burp um yeah yeah occasionally like a little but that's that's not really what we're talking about um that's not but that does sort of explain why yellowstone like at times expels like hot gas from the air from Mm -hmm. the ground um the thing to look out for is when the contents of this plume start to liquefy and move up at a faster rate Okay. Scientists have found that in past eruptions, there was such a void left by the empty magma chamber that mountain ranges as long as 50 miles totally collapsed and disappeared. What? Uh, what? <laughs> because there's such a space underneath Yellowstone filled with magma that during the super eruptions, they like were suddenly emptied. No, no, and no, there's no, like no, a... No, no. <laughs> yes no thank you (laughs) and that would happen again if there were another super eruption i could never be a scientist i would be so overwhelmed (laughs) by facts like this that i'd be like life is pointless you know yeah Mm -hmm. we're all gonna collapse into the magma chamber of yellowstone (laughs) i don't know how people live in california i really don't i i don't the layer of ash that was studied from the previous eruptions um were measured as seven meters thick that's a lot that's a lot <laughs> that's really thick. like picture, like when we have a snowstorm it's like what two feet is a lot yeah <laughs> seven meters it's insane um which is like what 21 feet if you're abruptly or yeah. a- approximately converting yeah um Yellowstone has had three major eruptions in the past two million years. The first one that we know about was 2.1 million years ago. The second one was 1.3 million years ago. And the third one was 640,000 years ago. So the reason why people think that there's like an eminent super explosion about to happen is because if you do the math on that, that's roughly 800,000 years in between the the first and the second and then roughly 500 million years between the second and the third so the fact that it's been 640,000 years like mathematically they're like okay right. well, the range is 500,000 to 800,000 we're in that range it could happen any day um uh. so, <laughs> so scientists so like technically though using that math and using that reasoning it could happen any minute now but it could also happen 100,000 years from now and scientists don't think that it's likely to happen anytime soon they think the absolute earliest that it could happen would be a couple hundred years from now so not in our lifetime not in our children's lifetime or our grandchildren's lifetime but you know uh, you know a couple hundred years um (laughs) all right it's a them problem (laughs) it's a them problem um the yellowstone area shows little visible evidence of the previous eruptions because the area was flattened by the eruptions and then smoothed over by glaciers and then forests growing over it 
and a lot of like foot traffic so you wouldn't really look at yellowstone and go oh yeah there was like an apocalyptic event here six hundred forty thousand years ago right um but here's what would happen if the eruption were to take place tomorrow <laughs> in a tip <laughs> it's scary in a typical volcanic eruption there's hot molten lava that just kind of spews out and covers the surrounding area. The lava that is gushing out is called magma. And that's just kind of referred to as like a lava flow, which there can be like more mild cases of a lava flow. Uh-huh. And there can be really disastrous ones, which I think Mount St. Helens was just like a lot of magma and then definitely ash as well. When a super volcano explodes, it's different. There's a lot less magma that comes out because rather than just sort of gushing out the top the lava is shot into the sky at a much greater force so it flies into the air and then solidifies and becomes ash particles what (laughs) and we are talking about 1000 cubic kilometers of rock particles spewing out of the ground and like flying into the air and it's not just like ash like i mean it's made of ash but it it wouldn't just be like oh flakes of ash it's tiny little sharp and scorching rocks shot everywhere and if you feel better (laughs) sorry um if you live in north america there would be pretty much nothing you could do um (laughs) (laughs) oh It would affect a large majority of the continental U.S. and Canada. Um, what if tens I went, of like, millions all the way up to the tip of Maine? Would I be okay? Mm-hmm. Probably not. You'd what be I, initially what, okay. What if I went to Newfoundland? Mm, you'd probably get, like, it wouldn't be as bad, but it would still not be great. The worst of it would be in the 621 mile, like, radius of the volcano. Yes. If you lived in that area, like, you would probably die instantaneously. Um, okay, maybe mil- I do want to live there. Like, maybe I just want to die instantaneously. Just go quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, well, it would s- expel so much ash that um, if you were outside, it would be unavoidable to not breathe it in. Mm-hmm. And then the ash would form a cement-like mixture in your lungs, causing you to suffocate. Yep, that's how the people in Vesuvius died. <laughs> Uh, so that's everyone that would be like in that 600, the like thousand kilometer radius, or it's possible if you were inside, the ash would hit the roof of whatever building you're in at such a velocity that you would absolutely get crushed immediately. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sick. But sick, sick, we sick, don't sick, live sick. there. Um, RAP did. Okay. But maybe I want to live there. Like, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to slowly die, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't want to slowly suffocate. I'd rather instantly get vaporized. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If you were outside that 1,000 kilometer or 621 mile range um, in the U.S., your life would still be greatly affected. On the East Coast, for example, um, you the area would receive a one centimeter layer of ash that would drastically change the environment and the air around us. It would make the air like toxic to breathe. It would... Uh, yeah, see, that sounds miserable. Just, like, just slowly yeah. wasting away. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, Europe might even get a light dusting of ash. Oh, a light dusting, you say. <laughs> a light dusting. 
Um, apart from the deadly ash everywhere, the temperature of the entire world would drop. The ash would fill the air um, and block, block out the sunlight. All, yeah, block the sunlight and cause a significant weather change. The eruption would shoot the ash up to 40 kilometers into the air, which would reach the jet stream, which wraps around the entire Earth. Like, that's, you know, clouds going around yeah. the planet. Um, so the entire Earth would have the sunlight blocked out. So there would be an average temperature drop of about 10 degrees, which would last up to a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a few degrees, years ago... A temperature drop. That's I like know. Env- that's like environmental environment altering temperature drop yeah totally uh a few years ago you might remember this i had forgotten this was a reminder there was a volcanic eruption in iceland and Mm, i do remember hearing about this yeah and there was a lot of ash in the air and so people in europe their air travel was really messed up because of it because it's not safe to fly through Mm. uh ash in the atmosphere (laughs) you mean it's not Uh, safe to fly through volcanic ash <laughs> they have done some research lately that has showed that it's not as dangerous as they thought mm-hmm. and they're doing more research into like w- ways that you could maybe safely navigate it like w- like maybe if you altered the altitude that you were going to fly at would that mm-hmm. help you avoid it so they're working on that not being a problem in the future but <laughs> <laughs> thanks for putting in that work fellas <laughs> But in this case, if if the Yellowstone volcano were to have a super eruption, that would be the case planet-wide. No one could fly anywhere. Crops, water supply, and pretty much anything in the western part of the world would be totally compromised. So whether or not you were killed in the initial explosion, your chances of long-term survival in the U.S. are not high. Yeah, again. <laughs> I'd rather <laughs> just die fast. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. According to scientists, almost all of the scary news that you read about Yellowstone potentially having a super eruption soon is an extreme exaggeration, and there's no evidence to suggest it will happen anytime soon. Like I said, the absolute earliest that they expect a large eruption would be hundreds of years from now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are good. I still don't feel great. (laughs) (laughs) Not feeling my Um, best right now. Yeah. Um, volcanologist Janine Krippner is kind of my new hero. I, <laughs> no, it I sounds lo- like a Star Trek term because of the it Vulcans. It does. It does. <laughs> That's why it made me laugh. Uh, but no, she studies volcanoes. But she was the one who was talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, and she is like my new hero because she 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 managed to say that she respects the scientists who spend their time studying Yellowstone. But she, like, practically rolled her eyes at it and was like, it's not a topic I really spend my time on. I don't like to discuss it. I care about volcanoes that are actually doing something. <laughs> That's a paraphrase, but that was the energy she had. She I was love like, um, her energy. Just like, I don't care. I'm busy dealing with volcanoes that are actually, like, significant. Oh, my God. Um, That's so funny. <laughs> I love But the basically, it, only about... like the top 10 Mm percent of all of that magma below yellowstone is liquefied and so in order for there to be a super eruption much more of it would be need to be uh liquefied and much and there would need to be uh enough pressure to 
expel all of it at once which is kind of a rare scenario and condition that is difficult to make happen scientifically so that's why it's we're like there's no evidence that that's going to happen anytime soon it has happened three times but not gonna happen anytime soon so i i assume that that's what they mean by the yellowstone death zone i let me let me google that phrase real quick and just (laughs) see if it has anything to do with a volcano (gasps) what this is fascinating I just, okay, according to that's the- why I wanted you to talk about it. <laughs> God damn the it. The Yellowstone Zone of Death is the name given to the 50 square miles. Um, the That's the Idaho section of Yellowstone National Park, in which, as a result of a purported loophole in the Constitution of the United States, a criminal could theoretically get away with any crime up to and including murder. Oh, yes, that is, yes, I want to know about that. <laughs> All right. You know what? Just ask me about it for next week. I'll look it up. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the volcano. I'm sorry. <laughs> that sounds so interesting. <laughs> no, this was, this was also really interesting. You gave me a lot of really good facts that were not what I asked for, but it was still interesting. <laughs> but, you know, put your mind at ease. Next time somebody tells me, like, and Yellowstone could go off any day, I'd be like, well, I hope it does. And if so, I'll move to Wyoming so I can die quicker. Yeah, it's like, that sounds so case, morbid, but I fully respect that logic and I share it. It would be mm-hmm. miserable to die slowly as a result of a volcano explosion. Yeah. So, right. lay it on me. My middle segment. Mm hmm. You may have heard about it. You may have seen people talking about it on TikTok or in the news. But I want to talk about the monolith that was found in Utah. I don't know what this is. <gasps> you haven't heard about this? Sarah, it's no, nuts. No, I haven't heard about this at all. Okay. Oh, I have several videos to send you, but here are the big po- points of it. Um, on November 18th, 2020... State biologists of the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources were in southwestern Utah carrying out a survey of bighorn sheep from a helicopter. They were, like, flying over the the area, just, like, kind of surveying, just, I think, to, like, count the population. Mm -hmm. And one of the biologists spotted something and asked the pilot, Brett Hutchings, to fly over it again. Uh, Hutchings was quoted to say, one of the biologists is the one who spotted it and we just happened to fly directly over the top of it he was like whoa 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 turn around turn around and i was like what and he was like there's this thing back there we've got to go look at it so they went back and they discovered that there was this metal structure which stood about 9.5 feet tall above the bedrock uh, with each sides being 23 inches wide it was a triangular prism with three sides it was not magnetic I don't know if they held a magnet up to it or if they, like... <laughs> um, I think if you put a compass next to a magnet, the compass reacts mm. to it. So that's probably the test they did. If okay. They yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it appeared to be made of an eighth of an inch stainless steel or aluminum sheets joined with rivets with a hollow interior. The there was a silicon caulk or epoxy along the base and striking the metal produced a sound that indicated some type of insulation inside 
the point of the triangular prism was facing into a giant crack in the rock structure near it. It was considered to be unlawfully placed on public land. I kept reading some kind of contradictory things about whether it was public or private property. I think the case is, I think what the situation is, is that it's technically like an area that you're allowed to walk through. It's like open to the public, but it is owned by Native Americans. It is uh, it native is, land. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's not really like state property for them to like right. do whatever they want on it. Okay. Um, it is, it was located 17 miles west of the, of Moab, Utah in the Lockhart Basin in San Juan County. Its exact date of installation is unknown, but it is believed to be between July and October of 2016. Now they know this because satellite imagery every couple of months just takes pictures of the area for like survey purposes. Yeah. And they looked at all the pictures and the monolith was not there in July of 2016. And then when they looked at the next round of pictures, which were taken in October of 2016, it was there. The scientists did not publicly disclose the location of the monolith because they were worried that people would get lost in the desert trying to find it. And they also didn't want to increase foot traffic in the area because there's a lot of native rock art and... Mm artifacts in the area that mm-hmm. w- we are supposed to leave undisturbed and uh, not damage and they, they were worried about a lot of people flocking there and harming mm-hmm. the, the place. I just um, a picture of it. What the hell is this? It's, it's nuts. Um, but using images on Google Maps and like f- researching the people who discovered it, it's like flight patterns people online were able to figure out the exact location like really quickly and within 48 hours tourists were like out there hiking looking for it taking pictures with it mm-hmm. um which is annoying because like all the people who are trying to protect this land were like please don't come here and then everyone did uh <laughs> The Bureau of Land Management was quoted to say that it is illegal to install structures, including art, on public lands without permission, no matter what planet you're from. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there are a couple theories about why the monolith is there. uh, uh, Some people think that it is... It was a prop that was left behind because there have been a fair number of movies and TV shows that have filmed in that area. Mm. Uh, so some thought, oh, maybe they built this structure for like a sci-fi show and then they left it behind. But the Utah Film Commission said that to their knowledge, the monolith was not part of any film production. Others believe it to be an art installation and I kind of am of, I, I, I think this is the most likely story. In the um, middle the- of the desert? I'll explain. Okay, so there was this artist named John McCracken who passed away in in 2011. He was 77. Mm -hmm. And he lived in Utah. I don't know how close to there he lived. but um, And he was a vocal believer in aliens. And he had expressed an interest in leaving behind a piece of artwork in the desert after he died. Um, They said it was installed in 2016 and he died in 2011. I know. Um McCracken made several metallic monoliths that looked nearly identical, which are on display at a gallery in New York. And a spokesman of the gallery owner said that they believe that the Utah monolith was created by an artist paying homage to McCracken. 
Okay. Yeah. So it could be someone who was close to him or was just a big fan of his who wanted to fulfill this desire of his. That's nice of him. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple of theories about who the artist could be. Some people think that it's artist Patricia Lafonhawk, who has installed similar sculptures in desert locations in the past. And she also lives in Utah, but she says it wasn't her. Mm. I'm like, mm, okay. It was Banksy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's another artist named Derek Despain who also lives not far from there and he's also had similar sculptures. I don't know whether or not he's publicly said that it was him, but apparently there are some images by a photographer that he posted on Instagram, which some people are using as proof. I looked through that artist's Instagram and I couldn't find the pictures other than there are a couple pictures of objects in the desert. Mm-hmm that could maybe be what they're talking about and then a lot of people think it's like aliens or (laughs) i heard some person jokingly say like it was like brought up through the earth from hell (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah a lot of people are like this is some supernatural stuff going on um but here's where the situation gets kind of juicy. Well, I mean, it's already juicy. But on the evening of November 27th, the Bureau of Land Management reports that the monolith had been removed by an unknown party. So it's gone. Okay. I I don't want to spoil this for you, but when I looked it up, okay. Uh, you just keep going. You just keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reports were true as the monolith, in fact, had disappeared, leaving behind a triangular impression in the ground and a triangular piece of metal believed to be the base. There were two hikers out that night near the location named Ricardo Marino and Sierra Von Meter. And they reported (laughs) seeing a pickup truck around midnight driving away carrying an object. Mm. So that could have been someone like whether or not it was the artist or just someone stealing the object. Someone could just could have picked it up and put it in their truck and drove away. I don't know why Ricardo Marino and Sierra Von Meter, which those two names (laughs) sound made up to me, were hiking at midnight. Yeah, that's super not safe. Don't do that. At least least they're doing it in pairs, but it's still not safe to hike at night. Yeah. Um, The Bureau of Land Management released a statement that they did not remove it, and since it was removed from private property, it is not their jurisdiction to investigate. It's the sheriff's department's job. Mm. Um, So they're not really doing anything about it. Uh, Now, what were you going to... Does this have to do with the removal or about something else? Um, This... uh, When I looked up a picture, news reports from literally an hour ago say that (gasps) four photographers have claimed that they removed the statue. Dang it. Well, okay. So we know where... Or no. Or no. Sorry, not for... A photographer captured four men removing the statue. Okay. According to the New York Times. Okay. Okay. So we know where it went. Yeah, they literally posted it, like, an hour ago. So the disappearance is less supernatural than we thought yes there's another layer to this now i think this is super fake but i'm gonna send you a tiktok right now and i need you to look at it right now now look behind the girl's hat the like pink hat with the floof that's a white hat get your eyes checked oh sorry i wasn't looking at this <laughs> it's okay it's all right what am i looking anymore. oh there's like something in the background yeah what the what is that <laughs> what is that some people have zoomed in on it to see what it is and it's it literally looks like a giant black 
crab demon. Like, it's so creepy looking. Like, what the heck is that? No, I think it's very likely because I looked at that um, TikToker's account and he does a lot of, like, well, he doesn't have that many TikToks posted. He had, like, six. And two of them were, like, in a set with costumes and he was, like, recreating Among Us. But, like, in person. So I don't think it's super beyond him to build, like, a monster sculpture or something. And have, like, somebody moving it in the background. Yeah. Um, But that's what's currently all over TikTok. Everybody being like, what the heck is this crab monster? Like, that's so crazy. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So that's everything that I know about the monolith in Utah. And it's not... That is nuts. That's really crazy. What a cool story, though. Cool story, bro. (laughs) Her sister was a witch. (laughs) This will pair very nicely with my topic today, Mm -hmm. which is the ever-mysterious Bermuda Triangle. Dun-dun-dun. Get ready. This is a doozy, and this is very creepy, and I felt very unsettled. Maybe this is why I didn't sleep last night. Okay. The Bermuda Triangle is a mythical area of the Atlantic Ocean bound by Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico, where dozens of vessels of land and sea have disappeared. Vessels of, sorry, Mm. I I should say vessels of air and sea, not (gasps) land and sea. Planes and <laughs> planes and boats have disappeared. Okay, the buildings have gone missing. <laughs> Fell into the Bermuda Triangle and disappeared. Okay. Um, although there are many theories, nothing has ever explained the bizarre disappearances that occur more frequently there than in other higher traffic areas of the ocean. The Bermuda Triangle is alternatively known as the Devil's Triangle, and it is five hundred thousand square miles. So it seems really small, but it's not. It's very large. Mm-hmm. I mean, large, but like it's the ocean. Like we, I don't think we as humans can fathom how large the ocean is. Well, but, like that's way bigger than the six hundred s- square mile radius of Yellowstone. Right, right. It's five hundred thousand square miles. Like, whoa. Right. Like I, I just don't think we as humans understand how large the ocean is. So oh, it's, it's a big. It's a big area. Yeah. In 1492, I think I sorry. sorry, I think I read something recently about how maps of the Earth are like liter- literally like some Americans and like mm-hmm. Westerners like got upset because they looked at maps and they wanted their nations to appear bigger yeah. so they like seemed more important so maps like since then are really like actually distorted and really like realistic maps of the world have way more ocean. In 1492, Columbus sailed through the Bermuda Triangle en route to the West Indies, but he reported that, quote, a great flame of fire crashed into the sea. This was likely a meteor, but it was still spooky. He also reported weeks later seeing flashes of light in the ocean. Ah, Just generally odd. I wish he had disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, but he did not. I know. One of the earliest accounts of strange activities near and around the Bermuda Triangle is documented in a work of Shakespeare. Do you know which one? The Tempest? Yes, The Tempest. Yeah! <laughs> the Tempest is based off of a ship that had 
a strange oceanic experience. This fleet of ships set sail from Plymouth Harbor in England, and it was headed for Jamestown in 1609. Some six weeks into their voyage, they landed in the eye of a storm, and the ship, the Sea Venture, was unable to maintain her course and ended up being shipwrecked on Bermuda. And all 150 people on board the ship miraculously survived the shipwreck. And they found themselves stranded on a beautiful deserted island. And the article I was reading did a really good job of explaining that to us, like, we love the sound of going to a deserted island and laying out on the beach for a vacation and relaxing. Like, this was not a concept in the 1600s. <laughs> they all were like, what is this dangerous, hot territory we have entered? Like, they hate, it was miserable. And mm-hmm. it was very scary for them. Many of the maroon sailors died, but they managed to build two crafts, ship crafts, and they did survive. I don't know how they were discovered, but they did survive. And when they returned to England, two of them published a book about their struggle for survival on the island, and this became the inspiration for Shakespeare's The Tempest, which was published in 1623. Um, so, but the, the oddity of them being caught in a storm and ended up shipwrecked on modern day Bermuda when they weren't even set for that course, like made Shakespeare, like intrigued Shakespeare, which is why the Tempest is very magical and mystical. And so Shakespeare inadvertently wrote about the Bermuda Triangle. From there, the next reports of strange occurrences in the region don't come up until the mid-19th century, um, but they did not capture the public's attention until the 20th century. On December 4th, 1872, a passing ship discovered the Mary Celeste. Now, the Mary Celeste was found near Europe. But I've heard of this. BuzzFeed Unsolved just covered this. Yes. Um, super interesting. The Mary Celeste was bound for Genoa, Italy, out of New York. And the ship was discovered under the par- under partial sail off the Azores Island, which is off the coast of Portugal. So I know this doesn't seem like a Bermuda Triangle story. However, um, the ship was discovered void of its seven crew members, the captain, Benjamin Briggs, his wife, and their two-year-old daughter. There was no trace of any of the passengers, and exactly one lifeboat was missing. There are many theories as to what happened aboard the ship to make the crew abandon it, but some have proposed that the ship wandered into the Bermuda Triangle. They had some sort of strange experience, and so they abandoned ship, and then the ship sort of just floated back towards Portugal. And because of the geography of it, it's not beyond the realm of imagination that that happened. Some people don't consider that a Bermuda Triangle story, but I do find it very spooky. Then in 1881, the Ellen Austin was traveling between New York and London when she was found. um, Oh, sorry. She was not found. The Ellen Austin was traveling and she found a derelict near the Bermuda Triangle that was also missing its crew. This, This story is so spooky. Captain Baker of the Ellen Austin made his crew observe the derelict for two days before they entered the abandoned ship. He found well-packaged good, goods clearly meant for trade, but no sign of the crew. So the captain decided to place his own crew upon the schooner to tow it back to land, and he put what he called his prized crew, like the best, to follow him. Uh, but after two days of towing the schooner back, a squall separated the ships. Days after that storm, Baker's lookout spotted the vessel and noticed it was once again drifting aimlessly. The Ellen Austin caught up to the vessel after a few more days, 
only to discover that no one was on board once again. His crew was just gone. There are there are conflicting accounts of what happened next. Some say that Captain Baker tried to tow the ship once more, only to meet the same result. And some say this the schooner, schooner, I have no idea, was spotted schooner. schooner. Okay. Was spotted once more, but with a completely different crew than Baker's. Like this other mysterious crew had just happened upon the ship. Or had like magically reappeared and it was very, very creepy. But that's a very creepy Rita Triangle story. Ooh. After gaining widespread fame as the first person to sail solo around the globe joshua slocum disappeared in 190 i've i've heard conflicting evidence about what year this was i think it's 1909 according to i'm according to history.com and i or the history channel and i trust them but he disappeared in 1909 and on a voyage from martha's vineyard martha's vineyard to south america within the bermuda triangle and he was never heard from again perhaps the most Famous case of the Bermuda Triangle mysteries is the disappearance of the USS Cyclops. And this is what BuzzFeed Unsolved primarily focused on in their episode about the Bermuda Triangle. This incident is the largest loss of life in a single day in U.S. Navy history. And they have no idea what happened to them. On March 19, in March of 1918, a massive warship known as the USS Cyclops set sail out of Brazil headed to Baltimore carrying 10,800 tons of manganese ore and 309 Navy crew members. The first and only message sent by this ship indicated no trouble, but after this first day, the ship was never heard from again. A search party combed the area, but nothing was ever found. There are no remains, wreckage, or signs of any of the crew members. The USS Cyclops never sent a distress signal, which it was equipped to do, and they never responded to radio calls from other ships in the area, even hours after they sent their first message. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson later said, only the God, only God in the sea know what happened to the great ship. That's too many people and too big a ship they've yeah it's such a large ship they've combed the ocean they never found anything they scoured the area nothing so creepy in 1941 two of the cyclops's sister ships vanished on nearly the same route the uss proteus was carrying 58 passengers and ore from saint thomas to the east coast and when it vanished and one month later the USS Narius disappeared with 61 people along the exact same route. So creepy. On January 31st, 1921, Carol A. Deering was found hard aground on the treacherous rocks of the Hatteras, Hatteras, Hatteras? Diamond Hat- Shoals of North Carolina. It, it was found in the Outer Banks. Hatteras? <laughs> Hatteras? Sure. I think that makes, because that's the same area from um, Roanoke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. Yeah, the Outer Banks. Yeah, it was yeah. found on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. There were speculations that the vessel was involved in rum running, and so it had gotten off course to rum run. Um, but However, when the investigation team from Barbados reached the vessel after days of effort in the rough sea, because they were having trouble um, taking port, they found that the ship was deserted with all crew members missing, along with all the crew's personal belongings, the ship's navigational equipment, logbooks, and life rafts. And it had just floated, and they were never seen, seen again. 
Reports suggested that as many as nine vessels disappeared during this period from the same region, none of which was ever heard from again. Why are we not like, okay, here's what we should do. We need to build, but I guess this would involve people like traveling down there more often. We need to build like a lot of like posts, like a lot of like, you know, like places, like, you know, those places you see that are like on a pole, not cameras, but like, like bases like 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 it's on a pole that like connects to the (laughs) ocean floor or something yeah um like island like places Mm -hmm. so that we can like keep an eye on people traveling through that area it's such a large area though that's the thing (sighs) and you taught me a maritime law how many how many oceanic miles is it offshore that it's no longer territory anybody's territory oh, isn't it like isn't it like 12.5 12. or something yeah like that's it's it's way off, so we could do that yeah. up until like off of the coast of florida and i guess technically off yeah. the coast of puerto rico the u.s navy could but we can't do that in bermuda and like the rest of it it's just open ocean <sighs> It's a maritime like, as a, law as disaster. A world, like the UN should, <laughs> should decide on doing this as a as a planet. You're right. You're right, Jane. It's very scary. In December 1945, five Navy Navy bombers carrying 14 men took off from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, in order to conduct practice bombing runs over some nearby shoals, like little little small islands. Um, the compasses in the Navy bombers apparently malfunctioned and the leader of the mission, which was known as flight 19, got severely lost. All five planes flew aimlessly until they ran low on fuel and were forced to ditch at sea. They literally just could not find their way back. Um, the last thing recorded in the communications by flight 19 passengers were airy reports on their location. One of them said, everything looks strange, even the ocean. And then he said, it looks like we are entering white water. We are completely lost. None of those planes or their passengers were ever seen again. That same day, a rescue plane and its 13 man crew also disappeared. And after a massive weeks-long search, the Navy report declared that, quote, it was as if they had flown to Mars. The official Navy report. Like that, that, Sarah. Isn't that awful? I just can't. I cannot. Okay. Um, in 1948, a DC-3 commercial flight vanished over the triangle with 29 passengers and two crew members as it headed towards Miami. That same year, British Avro Tudor plane dubbed the Star Tiger also vanished without a trace within the Bermuda Triangle. In 1963, the SS Marine Sulphur Queen, um, a large tanker ship that carried 39 passengers and molten sulphur, was last seen near the southern coast of Florida. You'd think if they were carrying an item like that, they would want to keep really close watch on it. After two weeks of looking, the rescue team found only a few pieces of debris and life preservers. On December 22nd, 1967, a cabin cruiser named the Witchcraft from Miami left from Miami um, with her captain, Dan Burak, and his friend, Father Patrick Horgan. The two gentlemen were on the the 
the Witchcraft was a 23-foot luxury yacht, and they were taking it out to enjoy a view of Miami's Christmas lights from the water. After reaching just one mile from offshore, one mile into the Bermuda Triangle, um, the Coast Guard received a call from Captain Dan Barak, stating that his ship had hit something, but there was no substantial damage. And he asked for help to be towed to the shore. The Coast Guard set off immediately and reached the witch reached the witchcraft in as little as 19 minutes. But the area indicated by cap by the captain, um, and indicated by its what's it called? Whatever gives off the location. Radar? Radar. Yeah. It was completely deserted with no signs of any ship having been stranded or even present there previously. The Coast Guard officials searched hundreds of square miles of ocean over the next few days, but were unsuccessful in finding anything. And nothing of this yacht has been found to this day. I don't like that. That's so scary. The most... The most recent tragedy involving the Bermuda Triangle was in 2015. The American container ship, the SS El Faro, disappeared into a hurricane in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. The ship was en route from Jacksonville, Florida to Puerto Rico. Second mate Danielle Rudolph wrote to her mother, winds are super bad and seas are not great. Um, And then within a few hours, the ship ended up sailing into Hurricane Joaquin and was apparently sunk. The last communication from the ship indicated it took on water and begun to list to one side, but then it went quiet and wasn't heard from again. The U.S. Coast Guard searched the area covering covering more than 183,000 square nautical miles. They spotted life rings, debris, and oil, but no signs of the ship or any survivors, and the search was called off after seven days. On October 19th, the USNS Apache departed from the Joint Expeditionary Base uh, Little Creek Fort in Virginia Beach, Virginia, to conduct an underwater search for the Al Faro. The search crew identified the vessel on October 30th in an approximate depth depth of 15,000 feet, and the ship was positively identified as the El Taro, El Faro. But the ship was missing its voyage data recorder. The they you need the voyage data recorder because essentially it um, takes in all of the ship's information and stores it into like this super safe, airtight, indestructible container for people to then look at should something happen to the ship and it will tell them exactly what happened it'll tell them like the time like their electric went off the time that they started to do this and it also records conversations that happen um in the oh my god what's it called the bird's nest where the mm-hmm. where, all the, where all the stuff happens the bird's nest it records everything in there so they needed it It took 10 months to find the VDR. This is because the top two decks of the ship had been sheared off by an unknown force, including the bridge deck, the bridge. That's what I was looking for, the bridge. And with it, the VDR. Um, So they found it in April of 2016. Oh, sorry. They found it in August of 2016. Just this year. Oh, sorry. Uh, This is a different point. When they discovered the VDR, it was concluded that the captain had acted against the best interest of the 
crew members on board and had he survived he probably would have been stripped of his navy title the recording is really devastating it's like a bunch of his crew members including second mate daniel daniel rudolph urging him against sailing in the direction they were going because they knew a hurricane was happening and for some reason the captain was insistent on sailing directly through it thinking that somehow the ship would survive so it was like found to be entirely his fault um that he that that the ship went down and that the crew members died which is like really devastating but it was still really strange behavior and people think that like somehow the bermuda triangle got to him i don't know it was just very odd his behavior just this year the wreckage of the ss Koto cotopaxi was discovered off the coast of florida this 250 foot um ship was sailing from charleston south carolina to havana when it disappeared along with its 32 person crew um in sorry it disappeared in 1925 so we found it almost 90 years later the ship was linked to the Bermuda Triangle myth originally, but in actuality, um, the ship was missing important structural components that they discovered in the wreckage. It didn't have basic stuff to let, let a ship behave properly in rough waters. Um, and the crew sailed into a tropical storm, so it likely went down because of natural reasons, but for many, many years, people thought this was a ship that had been lost to the Bermuda Triangle. The mm-hmm. phrase Bermuda Triangle was officially coined by Vincent Gaddis in a 1964 pulp magazine article titled The Deadly Bermuda Triangle. Theories about the Bermuda Triangle have been rampant for decades. Some suggest that the triangle's mysteries are the result of alien activity, which if you think that that's your right. Others believe <laughs> it's the powerful workings of the mythical underwater city Atlantis, but we know it can't be that because Atlantis <laughs> is in Mauritania, so it's not that. That's right. That's right. Some believe that it's a combination of the magnetic field and gravity in that area that pulls ships underwater. Now, I'm going to go back to Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus in 1492 reported that his compass was acting strange. And that is because at the time Columbus sailed through the Bermuda Triangle, the Bermuda Triangle was both the location of true north and magnetic north which would have really messed up his compass. So some believe that there's just an odd magnetic field around the Bermuda Triangle. And there, there has been proven to be like odd magnetic activity in that area that somehow physically pulls ships underwater. Some also think that it could be eruptions of methane gas from the ocean floor, the force of which pulls ships underwater, but that doesn't explain the airplanes. Although the compass did also stop working on the airplane. Um, The U.S. government has never officially recognized this area of ocean as an actual threatening location. So, hence why there's not a lot of long-term studies done in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, Whatever it is, something weird's happening there. It's really... I I wouldn't rule out any theory... Even the aliens, even though that seems so unlikely, but there definitely is something weird. Do you happening think? In that I mean, you're gonna hate this. Do you think it? Uh, you're gonna hate this, but do you think it's at all possible that at some point in history, aliens came to Earth and they just like dropped a pod in the ocean and have been like, and they have like an underwater civilization? Do I think that's possible? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No. No. Okay. That's fair. I have heard some people be like, 
I hate this. I hate that my brain went there. But recently I gave a PowerPoint on why the ocean is the scariest environment. And one of the thing, one of my points was that there exists a mega giant squid that's like three times larger than a regular than a regular giant squid, which are already perfectly terrifying. So some people are like, maybe there's a giant squid. Like literally the kraken lives there and like is like <laughs> pulling ships underwater. And honestly, I would believe that. Mm-hmm. I would believe that there is a mega giant squid living in the Bermuda Triangle before I would believe aliens. Yeah. Which all of it sucks and all of it's so creepy and so terrifying. The comments on the articles I read were so funny because some people were like, y'all are idiots. It's just magnetic, whatever. Like trying to explain science that I don't think they really got. And then other people were mm-hmm. like, sp- were like, <laughs> and like very poor typing being like, dis alien. Like, <laughs> truly which is pretty funny so i don't know i'm i'm open-minded and i know that it could be anything and i'm not i'm not gonna try to classify what i think it is because whatever it is it is creepy Mm -hmm. so that's that on the bermuda triangle (laughs) (laughs) the scariest place ever Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to us through the link in the show notes and or leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? I want you to consider this an early Christmas present that I'm asking you about this. Okay. I want you to tell me about the theories and evidence that the Grand Duchess Anastasia Nikolaevna of (laughs) Russia (laughs) survived her assassination in 1918. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember the last time you saw Anastasia? Yes, I do. <laughs> Cody Lindley was there. <laughs> yes, Sarah. Do you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering, Jane? Whatever so. <laughs> um, what is the Yellowstone death zone? <laughs> I don't know, Jane. You were supposed to tell me that. <laughs> you were supposed to tell me that. Forget it. I'll tell you. I don't know. I'll tell you. I'm sorry. It's all right. Now I get to look it up, which is very exciting for me. The funny thing would be if this was a recurring bit and every week one of us asks the other about the Yellowstone death zone and the next week that person comes back with an entirely different topic and then asks the other person and it just goes (laughs) on forever and we never learn. (laughs) But I really, see, that would be funny, but I really want to know. So I'm going to look it up. Okay. Um, Yellowstone part two next week. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know what I've been wondering. <laughs>